Good morning. It's my privilege to be back with you again this week and next week um, as we close out the year and begin a new year. So thanks for having me. Um, I pray along with you all that the Cavaleros have a rest-filled vacation um, and time with family, um, connecting with each other. Um, this morning's sermon passage comes from Genesis 24. We're going to start with the first 14 verses, and then from there, look at a few other passages in that whole story. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing. But as you turn there, I want to fr- reflect briefly on this year, 2017, as we are on the cusp of 2018. For me and my family, 2017 has been a wild ride. Twelve months ago... Yeah, right. Understatement. Twelve months ago, we had we were settled in Tyler, Texas, um, not looking to leave anytime soon, not looking to leave the ministry where we were. Um, but here we are, twelve months later, in a new city, starting a new ministry, uh, making new friends, worshiping in new churches, um, connecting with different churches. And my guess is that for some of you, it's been a little bit of a crazy year as well, getting engaged, having children, um, filled with joy and contentment. But for others of us, it has also been a year of challenge or of grief and of heartache. And we don't really care if 2018 comes, we just hope that it gets better. But whether you had a great 2017 or a challenging 2017, none of us really know what's going to happen in 2018. We don't know how God is going to work, but we trust that God is going to work on our behalf. That's where we find this man in this passage this morning, the servant of Abraham. He has no idea what lays before him, but he is seeking to trust that God is going to go before him that God's going to show up. God has called Abraham and promised to bless him and the world through his family line, but not all those promises have been carried out at this point in the story. His promised son has been born and now is an adult, but there's no grandson because the promised son has not gotten married. So what's going to happen? How's God going to be at work? So let's read this passage. God's word and working in the life of his people. This is from Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge over all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear to the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will not, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the 
five, Abraham his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please, let me have a drink from your jar. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have sworn steadfast love to my master. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would speak this morning, that you would use your spirit who dwells inside of Christians, who inspired these words to be written. We pray that you would use him to speak to our minds and begin to reshape them, speak to our hearts that they might be softened to love and to hope, um, and that you would strengthen our wills to follow you in the world. We ask that you would do that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd been in a hurry, and I had waited in long lines, and then I had been shuffled into other lines, and then I got put onto this moving tram that shuttled me through the Atlanta airport. And then I drug my heavy suitcase through the terminal, picked up some fast food that was very unhealthy, on the way to the gate. So I sat down in a stiff, hard chair and began to eat and wait, and wait a little bit more. And I was returning from staff training for RUF that happens two times a year, and I was going to return with my family. It had been a great week, but it had been a long week, and I was ready to see my family again. And I was waiting for my first experience with Spirit Airlines to spirit me away to my family for vacation. And you chuckle because you know where this is going, right? (laughs) So I'm waiting, and the time comes for us to begin boarding because the time for the plane to take off is soon and there's no plane on the tarmac nobody at the the gate standing to announce anything and so another passenger leans over to a group of us and says hey yeah i heard that it's delayed when i checked in they said it's delayed out of south america and i thought okay that's not that big a deal that happens delays but is it kind of weird that there's nobody there announcing anything and so we waited some more and waited and waited, and then an hour went past, and there was still no airplane, and nothing had been announced, and another person from another airline got up to start announcing the next airline, and he had no idea for us. Promises had been made that the airplane would arrive, and I was living expecting it to show up. I was eating and waiting and watching, expecting it to show up. I was living in the reality where a promise had been made but not been delivered. Isn't this how we often experience God? 
We live on this side of the cross. God has become a human being. We celebrated that last week in Christmas. God through Jesus made promises. We live in a time when we cannot see God's fulfilled promises with our own eyes, but we can see many ways that God has been faithful to His people and fulfilled those promises. We see it in the Scriptures. We see it in our own lives as we see God has worked. If you're a Christian here this morning, God has promised to you that He has made you justified, that He has justified you, that He's made you right with Himself, and that you don't have to prove yourself to anyone else in the world. If you're a Christian here this morning, He has promised to be sanctifying you, that you are sanctified, you are made holy, but He is making you more holy over time throughout the course of your life, causing you to die to sin and live to Christ, eventually becoming, when you die or Jesus returns, fully perfect like Christ. God has promised to be at work in the world, drawing people to Himself. He's promised to be at work in Tucson, drawing people to Himself through His church, through Desert Springs. God has promised that one day He will return to make all things new and wipe away all tears. But we can't see those things. So how do we live when we can't see them? How do we live faithfully as we wait? That's where we find this story this morning. Earlier in Genesis, God called Abraham and made an eternally binding relationship with him, a covenant. God promised to give him a land and to give him descendants that were more than he could count. And to bless him and then bless all the families of the earth through one of his offspring. And God has been faithful to Abraham. We can see that from this passage. God has blessed him. He is wealthy. He has lived to an old age, which is a sign of blessing in that time. Now, the the land hasn't become his and his people's yet, but he has a little bit of a stake in it. His wife has recently died and he purchased a plot of land. And so he, he at least begins to see that promise. He even had a son in his old age showing that God was blessing him, that God was fulfilling the promises. But now in his old age, Abraham is longing to see that promise continued. Because Isaac, the promised son, is not married. So he commissions his most trusted servant to go and retrieve a wife for Isaac from Abraham's relatives. Now that's not culturally odd. That's really common in those days. And a lot of great marriages were formed that way. But what question does the servant ask in verse 5? Look at verse 5. He says, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? I think the simpler question that he's asking is what if she says no? What shall I do? I think this is really the question that we often ask, that you and I ask, if not out loud, then in our hearts. What if people get in the way of God's promises? How do we live in a reality where we cannot control other people and where we definitely cannot control God? So how does Abraham answer the servant? He does it by reminding him of God's promise. Look at verse 7. It says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send an angel before you, and you shall take my wife for my son, take a wife for my son from there. Now, Abraham hasn't been always this faithful. 
and filled with faith. He's actually grown because earlier in his life, he gave his wife away as his sister to two other powerful people because he didn't trust God. He had tried to bring about the promise with his wife's maidservant and had a chair, a a child by her, thinking that that was going to be the heir. He's learned. He's grown. He is beginning to trust that God is faithful. And what he's saying is that God is steadfast in his love for his people. He has sworn and he's kept his promise that he is loyal in his love. He will keep his promises. He will go before you. He will show up. You might not see him, but he will show up and he will be at work. The same is still true for God's people today, for us in this room, for the other churches here in town, for you, even as you struggle to put doubt. God has always been steadfast in his love for his people. And because that's true, we must live expecting God to show up, even if we don't see him. This morning, I want for us to look at that, what that might look like to live expectantly through the lens of Abraham's servant, who's on a quest for a wife for Isaac, the promised son. So, Abraham's trusted servant takes with him ten camels, a whole stash of precious gifts, and we find out later on that he takes a bunch of Abraham's other servants as well, and they travel a 21-day long journey by camel and by foot to Mesopotamia, to Abraham's homeland where he is going to try to find this wife. And at the end of this journey, they show up outside of this city and near this well, and he causes his camels to kneel. It said in the evening, in the cool of the day, when women would come out to get water for the family's evening needs and the morning needs the next day. And so what does the servant do? He begins to pray. So how does he pray? Look how he starts. Look how he anchors his prayer. Look at verse 12. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. And show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. As he's praying, he's reminding himself of God's steadfast love to God's people. The servant is among those people, but what does he do? He's looking at God's covenant with Abraham as his representative. The servant clings to God's steadfast love by asking God to bring about his promise and bring success to his mission. And he clings, expecting God to show up because of God's faithfulness to Abraham. He says, let the woman who offers me and my camels a drink when I ask for water for myself, let her be the one. He's praying, expecting God to show up and expecting that 550 miles from his master, of all the people in Mesopotamia and in this region, And of all the people in this particular village, God will be at work. So how is he living out his faith? He's praying, expecting God to work. Praying, you know, it's a word that we talk about in church, in Christianity, and really spirituality in general. Praying is part of being in relationship with God. God is personal. God invites us to pray, to engage with him as a person. 
And even though we can't see us, he still invites us to trust and to pray. And as we seek to live, even though we can't see the fulfillment of God's promises, we must pray expecting God to show up. And for some of us, that's a big challenge, to expect God to show up and to work. Some of us are gifted with prayer, and we just trust, gifted with faith. Now, I'm not saying we should try to make deals with God like this guy. I think that's not prescriptive. He's not telling us how to pray like a formula. But God is personal and desires for his people to pray to him. So what does it look like to pray to God expectantly? Let's think about it like this. You familiar with the musical Annie? If you're not, you should. If you're too young, to, if you haven't seen it yet, get your parents to show you. If you're old and older and have not seen it, you should see it. Be encouraging to your heart. So what's the musical Annie about? It's about a little orphan who lives in a selfish woman's orphanage, Mrs. Hannigan. Annie feels like she has to fight for everything to get anything good from Miss Hannigan. All the orphans know it's true, and they even sing a song about it. It's a hard knock life for us. And they feel like they have to constantly fight to get anything good. They don't trust Miss Hannigan. But in this publicity stunt, a wealthy older bachelor, Daddy Warbucks, decides that he's going to take in an orphan for a week, and Annie works her way to be able to be that one orphan. And as she is beginning to live her first week in his house, she still feels like she has to fight and charm her way into getting good things. Even so much to so with her endearing self, where she says, you could hang me in the bathroom and see if I grow on you, like he does with a picture, like a famous painting. She's trying to be endearing. She's trying to be charming. But what happens, what should happen once he adopts her? Spoiler. If that's spoiled, I'm sorry. You should have seen that 30 years ago. What happens, what should happen once he adopts her? She should trust that he wants to give her good things, that he delights to give her good things because he's her father. And she is his daughter because he loves her. So how should... I think for us, one of the ways that we can pray expecting is by reminding ourselves as we pray that God is a God of steadfast love for his people and is going to be true to his promises because he loves his people. I think it's good and okay for you, for us to pray and say things like, God, you are a God of steadfast love for your people. I'm one of your people. Will you grant me success in this thing, in this evangelism, in this relationship with my family members? I'm not going to go into it too deeply this morning, but Jesus has replaced Abraham as the representative. Just like Abraham's servant who prayed that God would show faithfulness to Abraham, we can pray that God would show his faithfulness to the one who represents us, Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. They were asking that God would show his faithfulness and glorify Christ by answering our prayers because he's faithful to Christ. We can pray saying, God, you are faithful to Jesus. Be faithful to Jesus to bring about your promises in the world. 
to bring about your kingdom in Tucson because you have promised to work. Now, we can't manipulate God, but we can pray with this dependence and this expectation that God will remain faithful. So how would your prayer life change if you prayed expecting God to remain faithful? How would your response to unanswered prayers change if you trusted that God was steadfast in his love for you, that he was steadfast in his love for Jesus? Would you pray more confidently God that God would convert your family members who don't know Christ? Because you believe his promises to draw people of all tribes and languages, his promise to use families to grow his kingdom. Would you pray more expectantly that God would help you overcome some of the sins that have plagued you for a long time? Because he's promised to be at work in you until the day of completion at Christ Jesus. Would you pray more earnestly for God to end the brokenness and the injustice in your life and in the life of people around you, in the life of the people in Tucson that you don't know because God cares about those things? Would you pray more expectantly for him to heal broken relationships and sustain you during those struggles? Would I pray more expectantly for God to connect me with students as we start this ministry, as we continue to start this ministry? to financially provide for the work that he's doing in RUF. What might you pray expectantly for in 2018? The servant prays expectantly, but then he watches expectantly for God to faithfully provide. Let's read verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. The servant is actively watching and considering if God is at work like he's promised to be. So the servant asks her in verse 23 what family she belongs to. And sure enough, she's a relative of Abraham. God is showing that he is fulfilling the promise that she meets the criteria for marrying Isaac. First, that she is a relative. And second, she's not already married. Check. The qualifications have been met. The servant is watching, expecting God to show up. And when God appears to, how does the servant respond? He responds by worshiping. Look at verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. So what does it look like to watch expectantly for God to show up? To watch for God to work? Let's think think of it like this. Kids, what's it like when your grandparents are coming to town, especially if they live out of town? 
Maybe last week when they're coming for Christmas. Or remember when you were a kid doing the same thing. You hover close to the front window and hover close to the door. Every car door that shuts, you're peeking out the window. Every glimmer that shines off of a passing car, you're looking out the peephole of the door, hovering close, waiting, watching, considering, are they going to show up? When are they going to show up? Is grandma here? Is papa here? Are they here yet? I think this is a picture of how we ought to watch expectantly for God to show up. I think for some of us, first we have to believe that God will be true to his promise to show up in hard situations, whether that's with people or in your own struggles. Secondly, I think we have to consider and watch. We have to keep looking out the window and asking the question, how is God showing up? How is God at work in this situation? Even when, even though I don't want to believe, how is he working? So how will or how should watching expectantly affect you? For some of us, it might mean we actually start watching because we haven't been watching for God to work because we struggle to believe that God will work in the situations in our life. For some of us, it means opening the door of hope just a little bit because we've been burned before and we really don't want to hope. For some of us, it might mean paying attention to how God is already at work, even in small ways, in conversations, in fruit that we begin to see that God is bearing in people's lives, in the people that you randomly encounter throughout your work day, throughout your school day. So where are areas in your life where you might need to watch expectantly for God to show up? Is it your relationship with your child who seems to be so defiant right now? Is it your relationship with your roommate or your spouse who seems to be so hard-hearted? Is it in potential friendships in the midst of your loneliness after a hard first semester of college? Watching expectantly for God to work is not a passive excuse to say, oh, I'm just going to let God work. At the same time, it's not a, I need to make all this happen. It's just watching, expecting for God to work and moving to where He's already at work. Running to the door, running to the door when He pulls up in the drive. Participating where He seems to already be at work. So let's see how the servant does that. The servant gives gifts to Rebecca, expectant that she's the one. And she's a little bit overwhelmed by the stranger who's giving her gifts who's worshiping right in front of her. And so she takes off and runs back home. And her brother Laban has been watching from a distance and he runs up and he greets the servant and invites the servant to bring um, the rest of the servants and the camels to his father ha- father's house that they would care for them after their long journey. And Laban and his father Bethuel lay food in front of the servant, but before the servant will eat, he says, let me tell you what has happened. I have to tell you why I came And I have to tell you about everything that's happened. So he proceeds to tell them how God called Abraham, how God has deeply blessed Abraham, and that God has even given Abraham a son in his old age. He tells them that Abraham sent the servant back to the homeland to take a daughter for the promised son of Abraham's old age. He tells them everything that he's prayed for and how God seems to be answering that prayer through Rebekah when she came to the well. Then he ends his report with this in verses 48 and 49. Let me read this. 
He says, Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now, then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. The servant reports to them, and then he invites them to respond. He's trusting God to show up and to provide still, even as he interacts with these people. He's expectant. He's filled with hope, but he doesn't force them. He doesn't try to manipulate them. He doesn't play the God card to get them to make a decision. He asks for an answer, and he waits. As we seek to live faithfully in this world, to live faithfully in 2018... We're going to have to relate to people. Sorry, it's part of being a human being. You have to relate to people. Even as we pray and watch expectantly for God to show up, we have to relate to other people. We can't force people to do what we think God is up to. We can't manipulate them into it. We have to relate to other people expectant that God's the one who works. That God's the one who will provide, even in relational ways. We can't be the one who provides by controlling a situation, by controlling someone. We have to relate expecting that God is going to do what he says he does, which was bring about healing, bring about hope. So who are people in your life? And what are situations in your life where God is calling you to relate to someone expecting God to show up and to be at work? Maybe it's your parents with whom you have a hard relationship. Maybe it's your significant other. Maybe it's the friend who you've been trying to share the gospel with and lead them to know Christ. For me right now, I've been having to think through this this year, this semester, as I'm trying to meet students, as Brittany and I are trying to meet students, as we're trying to develop relationship with donors and potential donors. I have to trust that God will show up. By expecting God to show up as we relate to other people, we're actually giving up control We're actually beginning to relate to other people as human beings rather than objects for us to control. We can take the pressure off of ourselves and other people, expecting with hope for God to show up. How would that attitude change family gatherings? How would it change a workplace situation? How would it change an intimate relationship with a close friend or a spouse or a child? My guess is it would lower the anxiety and it'd breathe a breath of fresh air into the relationship, into the situation. So, the servant has reported all the ways that God has seemed to be at work. And he's asked the family, will you send Rebecca to marry Isaac? We can imagine a long, deep, pregnant pause Laban looks at his father, Bethuel, Bethuel looks back, and they go, well, they begin to discuss with each other. They turn to Rebecca, who's most likely in the room, to ask what she thinks as well and ask her mother. And then after some amount of time, we don't know how long, they say, yes, they give their consent for Rebecca to go to marry Isaac. 
And you can imagine the weight being lifted from the servant. And the servant bows down in deep gratitude to God and worships for how God has shown up and provided. And then out of gratitude to God and gratitude for Rebecca's faith and her family's consent, he overflows with generosity and gives many precious gifts to Rebecca and then to Bethuel and then to Laban and then to Laban and Rebecca's mother and to the other people in their midst. God's provision leads him to live generously. Everyone eats and drinks and then sleeps. And the next morning, the servant asks to leave. Whoa, this is fast. God has been faithful and he wants to get back home to show God's faithfulness. Maybe even to get back home before Abraham passes away. To share the good news that God has been at work. God has been faithful. So the family asks Rebecca if she minds leaving that day. And with a lots of faith, with great faith, Rebecca says, yes, I will go. And so she and a bunch of her servants gather with this servant and the rest of the servants and the camels, and they travel the 21-day journey back home where she meets Isaac at the camp of Abraham, and she marries him. And Isaac and Rebecca have children, and God continues to slowly bring about fulfilling his promise to give Abraham an offspring who number the stars and to give him one particular offspring who will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. So I was sitting in the airport waiting and waiting. I couldn't control people. I couldn't control the situation. Even as the hours ticked by, I was completely powerless. But at the end of the day, like seven hours past the time, when I was supposed to take off, the plane did show up. It took me to where it promised to take me. Some airlines are better than others. I found that out that day. <laughs> but all airlines will let you down at some point. Mechanical parts will fail. Employees will quit. Employees will go on strike. Pilots will log too many hours and will need to be forced to rest. Something will be out of their control like weather or some natural disaster. And at some point, if you travel enough, you will be lefted, left stranded with broken promises. And when you depend on people enough, when you depend on yourself enough, you will be left stranded with broken promises. In 2018, you will be left stranded with broken promises. But God is not like other human beings. God is not like airline companies. God is not like you. God is not like me. God does not break his promises. He is eternally more reliable. Though sometimes he might seem to delay, he does not, it doesn't mean that he has not shown up and that he's not at work. God is at work even in the darkest circumstances when it seems like he does not hear you praying. Even when you watch and it seems like he is not present. When you relate to others and it seems like there is no hope that he's at work. That they're past all hope. We know this because God has shown up. Truly and physically. God showed up in creation as a human being, as a man, Jesus. God showed up to faithfully rescue his people. But he didn't just show up as God. He showed up for you and me as a human being. 
the truest human being who ever lived, to represent God to God's people, but also to represent you, God's people, to God. But then on a Friday, on the darkest day of history, Jesus prayed for God the Father to show up, knowing that God would not show up for him. Jesus watched for God to show up to rescue him from death. He prayed in the garden. He watched in the garden. He cried out from the cross, but God did not show up. God turned his face away, forsaking his only son. But in a deeper way, Jesus entered death, expecting God to show up in power over death and over sin. To conquer sin and death through the resurrection. To show up to bring about his ultimate promise of faithfulness to bless all the families of the earth. To bring about, to bring rebellious orphans home as his daughters, as his sons. God showed up in history as a man and abandoned that man so that he could bring you and me home. Then he sent his Holy Spirit that you would know that he showed up in your heart. Through his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension and his sending of the Spirit, we might know that he has, he is, he will show up and that he will be at work in you and through you and in the world until he returns and shows up in all of his glory to wipe away every tear that he might be here present with us for all of eternity, making all things new. This is the hope that we have as we enter 2018. This is the hope in the God who shows up. Will you hope expectantly with me? Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would show up. That you would show up even now. You promised to show up through the preaching of your word, through the elements of the sacrament, through the singing of songs and hymns and scripture. We ask that you would show up. We ask that you would show up for us in 2018. But you would cause us to actually believe that you're already showing up. That we don't have to convince you. We don't have to manipulate you. We don't have to be on our best behavior. We don't have to be perfect because Jesus is perfect for us and he represents us and you are faithful to Jesus. For some of us, I pray that you would open that hope this morning a little bit more. For some of us, I pray that you would open that hope and bring light where there was darkness, and that you would give new faith, that we could actually begin to believe for the first time. Would you do that for us this morning? Renew our hope. Give us hope. Give us faith. That we might enter 2018 not confident in ourselves, but confident in the God who is faithful and can do all things. Give us that hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.